0: Cavia porcellis is an interesting little species. It was domesticated by the Incas over 3000 years ago, and since has been selectively bred to produce a variety of individuals that are, for lack of a better word, cute. Guinea pigs are a common household pet, but they're also colloquially known as one of the go-to test subjects for scientific studies.
1: A fairly common and very valid concern about the various COVID-19 vaccines is that we, the recipients, are the guinea pigs in this situation. Luckily, though, that isn't the case. I'm Connor. And I'm Sam. And welcome back to Vaccination, the show where we have candid conversations with researchers and scientists and ask them the questions that the mainstream media hasn't quite answered about your vaccination.
0: Today we have with us Nicole Wong, a Science for Everyone researcher, to help us break down the process that these vaccines went through before they were approved by the Canadian government. Thank you for taking the time, Nicole.
2: Of course, I'm excited to be here.
0: Okay, so let's dive right in. What happened to these vaccines before they're being given to us? Who were they tested on?
2: Yeah, I, it's kind of weird because most of us don't think about this when we got vaccinated, because most of us got vaccinated when we were like babies, didn't even remember the shot going into our arm. But before the shot went into our arm, um, it went through a process known as a clinical trial. So essentially, scientists want to know how effective a vaccine is before they roll it out to the general public. Uh, so they'll take groups of volunteers and individuals and test the vaccines on small groups um, with those groups getting larger and larger as the trial progresses and continually monitor not only the effectiveness of the vaccine but also the safety. So for example, Um, let's say we're testing a new COVID-19 vaccine. First thing you do is you formulate it, you come up with a vaccine, it's all in the needle, sick. Uh, Your first question is, is it safe? So if I were to inject this into, for example, you, Sam, um, I wouldn't want uh, your arm to become like swollen and red and all of like, we don't want any of those bad side effects. I agree, that sounds really bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's not, not the objective of the vaccine. It's to protect you from COVID, not from COVID-19, not to give you a swollen arm for forever. So the first test on like 10 to 100 individuals, they check, um, is it safe? That's phase one. Phase two, so there's like a second step in our new vaccine development. Um, you wanna increase the number of people uh, that are being tested. Uh, you'll add more individuals. And you're also at this point to be like, is it safe on more people? And also, is it effective? You're starting to look at like, okay, like are people getting COVID from the vaccine itself? Um, etc. And then finally, you're reaching phase three. So the vaccine has made it through two rounds of people. And then you reach phase three, which is the largest phase. This is when you're monitoring not only the efficacy, like how well it works, um, but also like, if it was a competitive drug, they'll look at like, oh, is it more effective than like nothing? Or is it more effective than like a competitor drug on the market?
0: And you mentioned there that one of the one of the things they were testing for, I think, in that second stage, was did anybody get covid from the vaccine and just to be just to be clear did anybody get covid from any of these vaccines
2: no not as a direct result from the vaccine excellent like <laughs>
1: perfect that's what we'd like to hear so they're testing on people right smaller groups than baker and bigger groups how ethical is that and like is that fair or safe to the test population of people
2: so the ethical question is one that comes up a lot when you talk about clinical trials, because essentially, when you're doing a clinical trial, you need to test how effective a vaccine is, and in order to know that, you need to know the what some the chance of someone getting COVID nineteen without the vaccine. Uh, so it means that when you're testing it in that um, in these phase trials, there will be individuals that don't get the vaccine, because that's a, the nature of a, like a ran, they call it a randomized clinical trial or an RCT. Um, so some people won't necessarily get the vaccine. They might just get like an injection of like, not water, but something that won't stimulate some sort of immune response. Um, just the, as
0: a comparison. Uh,
2: yeah, just as a comparison. And participants are made fully aware of this process before they sign up for the trial.
1: I assume they're also looking for healthier people, right? That if they do yeah. end up getting COVID-19 because they got a placebo or if the vaccine isn't as effective, then it's not going to be like life or death, right? They, they account for a lot of those things to make it safe. And they have those smaller trials in phase one, like you said, to make sure it's safe and no one's going to have these ridiculous effects, right? Like they, they must account yeah. for all that, right? To make it as safe yeah, as possible. Yeah, they have
2: to make sure that the when they're rolling in the trial, like They would have to meet certain criteria criteria in the first place to be eligible for it. So then that way you're able to, like you said, Connor, to make sure that um, everyone is aware and you're not having really really ill people enroll in this trial. That also wouldn't necessarily be helpful for the data. So for example, like if you want to look at the effect of a vaccine effectiveness of a COVID nineteen vaccine, you're vaccinating people who are very ill, that's not reflective of the immune system of someone who's, he- who's healthy, which is the majority of the people who are going to be getting the vaccine.
1: Right. So we really have all these people that participated in these clinical trials to think to make sure it's safe, right? Yeah. Awesome.
2: 100%. Definitely.
0: And actually, we're going to be, uh, for our listeners, we're going to be t- uh, speaking with somebody who is involved with one of the clinical trials uh sometime in a later episode so stay tuned for that and we'll get a bit more insight into the actual process of going through a clinical trial and what those participants went through so nicole on a slightly different note so we're hearing about side effects in some of these vaccines (laughs) so like the blood clots that we've heard about in the astrazeneca and the johnson and johnson vaccines these have been like a big deal and part of the reason was that nobody really expected them they weren't listed as like a side effect that was observed in the clinical trials, so why is that? Why were these side effects not seen in these massive clinical trials that you described?
2: One of the things with some of these rare side effects is that the massive clinical trial that was run for, for example, AstraZeneca actually wasn't big enough to detect how, detect things like the blood clots because they are so rare. So. For example, if you test twenty three, like they tested about twenty three thousand people um, that I had, they had reported like the EU officials that had reported it. Um, while that's a very large scope of people, um, at this point now is twenty twenty one. They've vaccinated over like thirty four million people with the AstraZeneca vaccine, and currently the rate of blood clots is is one in a hundred thousand. So if you think one in a hundred thousand is the current rate. And they only tested 23,000 people for the AstraZeneca vaccine. That's shows how it's possible that the original phase three trial wouldn't have detected these rare, rare, rare outcomes. In the phase three trial, it's not because they wanted to hide the data that they didn't have blood clots. It's purely because they didn't see them. It didn't come up until they started vaccinating millions and millions of people.
1: Right. So since we've seen in phase 4 they've looked at AstraZeneca and um they've recommended not to continue using them uh and instead they're recommending mixing and matching vaccines. Did we actually mm-hmm. do a trial for that and was there any sort of research into that? How do we know that it's safe to encourage?
2: Yeah, that's like, honestly that was a, that was one of my questions as well like when they were starting to recommend it I was like, "Whoa. Like they're mixing and matching as Like, what does that even mean? Like, aren't they separate for a reason? Mixing and matching the vaccines, they did a couple of trials. They did one in Madrid, I believe, and they also did one in the UK and in Germany. Um, And they were on, they did a couple of mixed trials with different windows. They checked like a four week window as well as an eight to 12 week window um, between having both the um, AstraZeneca and and then a dose of an mRNA vaccine. Um, So, with AstraZeneca being the adenovirus vaccine, so one form of it, and then the mRNA being the Pfizer and Moderna, those have been the main three that have been mentioned. I will say that. It's been AstraZeneca plus the Pfizer and Moderna. And they have seen um, efficacy with that mix and match in those smaller trials. Um, And so they've tested like hundreds in the hundreds range of individuals for that um, in that test. And so that kind of brings us like, to that, second, that question of like, it's only hundreds of people, like, why is this being pushed? Um, and then the idea being that a lot of individuals are like, okay, like scientists are saying, even though you're only getting, you're getting a mix and match and we're still preliminary stages of testing it, um, it is still working, it is still worth it over your chance of only having one dose and being partially protected, especially with the rise of new variants. Uh, but there have been studies into it. So it's not people public health officials are not making these calls off of no research at all, but there is work going into it.
1: All right. That's good to hear that they're actually testing it. And I know a lot of people are saying, like, oh, I, I don't wanna get this vaccine because I'm considered a guinea pig. But no, we have a lot of volunteers who have willingly been part of these very thorough studies and, and everything is backed by science. That's really reassuring to hear.
2: Yeah, it's all about like at the end of the day, all of the vaccines are trying to protect you. And while it's easy to slap a brand on all of them and to kind of make it seem very separate, many of them take very similar approaches, if not the same approach. They're trying to create this antibody, this little like knight to protect your body, this little person to stay inside there and attack the COVID when it arrives. there are ways to integrate them such that you can get mixing and matching such that it will still work because at the end of the day they're all doing the same thing so i agree with you
0: so it's kind of like mixing you know like ibuprofen and then brand name Advil
2: yeah exactly it's like mixing two like two similar two things that are basically the same at the core but have different packaging yes
0: great well, thank you again, Nicole, uh, for engaging with us today. We and our listeners, we really appreciate your insights. Um, and thanks again for coming on.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So just before we sign off for today, we want to remind you all that if you do decide to get a vaccine, you can find current locations through the Government of Ontario website, your region or district's websites and at Vax Hunters Can, who regularly provide information about pop up vaccine clinics on Twitter. Links are in the episode description. If you have any
1: vaccine-related questions of your own, you can reach us at sci for everyone on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thank you again for tuning in, and remember to subscribe for more conversations and some insightful answers to your vaccine questions.
0: Vaccination is a joint production of science for everyone and misinformed.ca. It's produced by Sam Marchetti, Connor McLean, Nagar Astley, June Kim, Maria Denk, and Kayla McKee, with editorial help provided by Kayla Benjamin. This podcast was produced in partnership with Misinformed in support of their PHAC-funded campaign, Hashtag I Got Vaccinated.